Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program. Why is there pain at all? I mean, if God, the, the, the conundrum is this. If God is so good, so loving, why on earth would he design a creation where pain is even possible? Why would he do that? As you wander through life, have you ever found yourself asking the question, why? Or more specifically, why God? The why question reveals one of our deepest desires, to understand, and in doing so, have a sense of control. Tonight, Dr. Corbett begins a four-part series that seeks to explore the why question on four different fronts. The first in the series you may well have asked many times. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for Why Pain? All right, we're going to pray and I'm going to ask God to speak to us. This is going to be a, a delicate topic, particularly close to home for many of us. So let's pray. Father, it's your word I want to hide behind and I pray as I hide behind it, people will look through that and somehow see Christ and see Christ with arms outstretched, with eyes that are warm and inviting. Lord, they might hear the words of Christ speaking gently and sweetly into their soul and that father as a result of us spending time in your word right now together you would literally bring healing to people literally heal bodies literally take away the ache of past and regret and literally heal souls today i pray in jesus name Amen. I want to kick off this series called Why. If I was to have another word, I might have Why God? <laughs> Why? And I think it's the human condition that asks why. In fact, as I read through Job and Psalms, particularly Psalms, Psalms is written by multiple authors. And the thing is that because it's written by multiple authors, when you see this question come up over and over again, you know this is not just a question that is isolated and asked by one or two people who kind of don't get life. This is a part of our experience, all our experience. And so, for example, Psalm chapter 10 and verse 1 says this, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? This is the psalmist. You've got to appreciate, this is someone who, who knows God. They, I mean, good grief, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're in the Bible. So this is someone who has a connection. They have a relationship with God. And there were times in this godly person's life when they said, I just don't feel God. I just, where is he? That's not the only time we have other examples, Psalm 44, for example. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? This is someone who was confused. They didn't, they didn't understand why God was letting what appeared to be wrong and evil and tragedy go on unattended. And I want us to realize that the doubt is at times part of our normal walk with God. It's just a part of it. 
And when you have those times of doubt, it's actually the very thing that God has ordained to strengthen your faith. And I know, and you, aren't gonna, you won't hear it here, but there will be people that will say things like this, don't doubt, just have faith. And you'll never hear me say that. Jesus never said that. Jesus actually said to Thomas, you remember Thomas said, I won't believe unless, you know, doubting Thomas we call him. That's the only time we have Thomas expressing any what we might call doubt. I'm not sure that it was doubt. I think it was actually quite realism. It was realistic. There was an extraordinary claim being made that Jesus had risen from the dead and, and Thomas said, well, I need proof. There's nothing wrong with needing proof. Jesus said, Here's the, when he met Thomas, here's the proof. There's my hands, there's my side. Look, it's me. I was dead. I was buried. Now I'm alive. And Thomas's response is perfect. He fell down on his knees and he worshipped and said, you are my God. <laughs> That's a great response. So I think the why questions reveal something about each one of us. And it reveals this, that we all have as one of our deepest desires and a deep desire to understand what's going on. We want to know what's going on. And there's, I just don't think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> the fact that it's all through the Psalms, as we'll see in a moment, it's all through Job. Job's going, why God? Why? Why? If you know the story of Job, how, he was, how his children died and then his physical condition died and to make matters worse to add to his pain his wife didn't die and so (laughs) because you know in Job she's the one who said give it up Job right and so I'm actually going to touch on that that pain comes in different forms and sometimes we say of someone you're such a pain well we actually don't say it generally to them do we do we Tony oh sometimes okay uh (laughs) Oftentimes we just think it, Tony, Um, (laughs) not just say it. But you know what? Sometimes people are a pain. Does anyone? No, no, we probably won't go there. (laughs) All right. So our desire is to understand. We want to understand. There are some things, though, I think we just can't understand. but but, But we want to understand because it gives us a sense of control. If I know why something happened, if I know why this happens or that happens, suddenly I understand how the world works. And because I understand how the world works, it actually gives me some small sense of control or power in this world where I can feel at times powerless and helpless. And they're the frustrating times, aren't they? When Things happen and you've got no say in it, no control. And it's frustrating and it kind of adds to the pain. There are certain things in life though we can't ever understand. Can anyone think of things you just can't understand? Is there anything people just can't understand? Is there anything men, men you can't understand? <laughs> no one's prepared to say it, are they? <laughs> Dying young. Sure. Sorry, what, what were you going to say, Louis? Men. We're pretty simple, really. Pretty simple. Anyway, I think there are certain things in life and about life we, just, we, we will just never understand. 
if you have come today because you want to hear, ah, at last I'm going to get a very simplistic, simple answer to some of life's deepest conundrums, um, you may be disappointed, but let me, let me take you on a bit of a journey to see why I don't want to disappoint you. I think there are certain things in life we can't understand. Those things include, I think, at times, why people behave the way they behave when their behaviour is just not understandable. You ever watch those TV detective murder documentary things where they take you through? And, 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 and I've, I've seen some of those where the, one of the things that the police do is they look for motive. Motives are you know, a key indicator of guilt. If they can find a motive, they can, you know, they can find, oftentimes find out who did the crime. But there have been some crimes where there's just no clear motive at all. Police scratch their heads and they find the person who did it. I'm the viewer watching this going, yeah, but why did he do it? And to this day, people still don't know why some people act the way they acted and it resulted in great evil. There are sometimes, and, and as we've seen in the Psalms, there are sometimes God does things and we just don't understand why he did it that way. C.S. Lewis, who was a soldier in World War I, who was injured by, uh, I'm not sure if they call it missile fire, I guess they call it missile fire, who was injured in World War I, nearly died. His best friend who went to war with him in World War I did die. And C.S. Lewis came back having made a, a vow to that man as he died. And this man said, would, would you look after my mum? And C.S. Lewis vowed, I'll, I'll look after your mum, and, and did, till the day she died. Not, not many people know that. And C.S. Lewis, his own mother died very young. He was, he, was very, he was about nine, eight or nine years of age when she died at the age of 44, 40, or 41, I think it was, sorry. And then he went through life and, and thought that life was, th- th- there was very little to enjoy about it. And then one day he, he met a lady by the name of Joy Gresham and, and they fell in love and he married her in a hospital room as she was diagnosed with cancer of her femur and, and she, was, she was given not long to live. And as the Anglican priest pronounced the man and wife, he said, would you mind if I prayed for your healing? And the Anglican priest prayed for joy to be healed and she went immediately into remission and they had another they, they had you know what was going to be weeks or months they actually had something like three years together and then she died and and he experienced a joy there but he didn't understand why God only granted three years and then C.S. Lewis himself contracted a terrible infection toward the end of his life and, and died a very unpleasant death. And, and you can look at this and think, why? He certainly did. He had moments and he didn't always understand. And there's a, a scene when he was in the chapel at, at, uh, at that time, Cambridge, and, and the rector came up and said, are you praying for joy you know, are you praying for God to change his mind about joy? And he said, no, I'm not. I'm, not. I'm, I'm actually asking God to change me, to change my mind, <laughs> to, to do work in me. And it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable story. 
why is there pain at all? I mean, if God, the, the, the conundrum is this. If God is so good, so loving, why on earth would he design a creation where pain is even possible? Why would he do that? To begin to answer that question, perhaps we might need to have a look at Genesis chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to follow this. You may want to underline some things that you may not have seen before. We're in Genesis chapter 3. This is just shortly, relatively, shortly after the creation of mankind, Adam and Eve. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Verse 3. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. That was something she added to God's word, by the way. People who, whose heart becomes reluctant to obey God often make it more difficult than it is, just by the way. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good from evil verse 6 so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise so notice that she had a desire (laughs) She had a desire which she thought was very, very natural and very, very right. And just as a, by the way, not all desires are either natural or always right. To make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her, to her husband who was with her. Do you notice it doesn't say, and so she went and looked for her husband. Why do you think it doesn't say that? Because he was probably right there. So sometimes we give Eve a bit of a bad rap. But Adam was right there. And gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, 
Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Just, I want you to notice, God has said, in pain you shall now bring forth children. And to Adam he said, verse 17, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. Notice this, these next two words. In what? Pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. So I want to point out a couple of things here. Is it reasonable to think that before this happened, which we call the fall, before this happened, mankind, that is Adam and Eve, had no capacity for pain. And if you can just follow me here, I want to suggest to you they did have some capacity for, for pain. How do we know that? Because you actually have nerves throughout your body that are part of God's design of who you are. I mean, thank God for them, right? We experience touch, and if we experience the wrong kind of touch, our nervous system tells us uh, this is not good. And so there was some capacity for, tac- I believe, for, for nervous tactile pain. That's because we're designed that way. Can I also point out that I think that design is a good design. And I've heard people say, oh man, I just wish I, wish I never felt pain. And I've seen documentaries of people who are cursed with the inability to feel pain. You might think cursed with the inability to feel pain. I'd love to not feel pain. No, you probably wouldn't. And one of them was a, a young boy. I'm not sure if he was early teens. He didn't feel pain and the problem was he was continually breaking his bones and he couldn't feel it this is not a good thing so I think there was some capacity for pain a kind of pain a healthy pain a pain that protected people pain is the body's when it's physical pain pain is kind of the body's warning system something's not right here so it's not it's not a bad thing I think it's a part of God's design but in the fall we read here that God is talking about non-physical pain as well as a new kind of physical pain. The fall of mankind introduced foreign pain, a kind of foreign pain. We are now, because of the fall, we are now subject to different kinds of pain. So when we talk about pain, I don't want us, because I know we're in a culture now where, you know, um, uh, broken arms are uh, easily recognisable because of the cast, but there are some brokenness that people experience, their pain is not easily obvious. And that's true, but I don't want to diminish the broken arm. They hurt. Broken bones hurt. Don't they, Dr. Tony? Orthopedics, is that what you're into now? At the moment, broken bones hurt. So let's not diminish that, but let's recognise that there's, there's not just physical pain. There is physical pain, but we now read from what happened in the fall, there is a new kind of pain that's been introduced to our common experience. 
And that's the pain of disappointment. The pain of disappointment, you might think, oh, that doesn't sound very painful. Oh, really? The pain of disappointment comes from when you experience loss. We might call that tragedy. When you experience loss, there's a deep disappointment. This is, you know, you have an expectation and this happens, so that pain. It, it comes from when you fail at something. You ever watched a, a football grand final? The match is really, really close. And then right on the siren, one of the teams kicks a goal, which becomes the winning goal. And then brrr, the siren goes, you've seen the losing team, what they do? Grown men cry. It hurts. Because they're now losers. Which I find extraordinary, because after all, they made it to the grand final. So failure is one of those pains of disappointment that can really hurt. I think also there's another kind of pain and that's the pain of rejection and arguably yep broken arms hurt grieving loss tragic loss of a loved one that really hurts but gee rejection hurts man it hurts and you know as um, parents when we see our children experience the pain of maybe an, a, a childhood sweetheart relationship and it breaks up and that, that hurts, it really hurts. And that's why I think as parents we need to guard our children from entering into relationships that they don't have the emotional stamina or resilience to be able to cope with. I don't think God's designed for, for children to experience that kind of thing. And that's why I think it hurts so much. So this kind of rejection hurt can also come from betrayal, a broken relationship, a divorce. It can come from a job loss, you're fired. It can come in those kind of ways, and we put it in the category of rejection, and it really, really hurts. And the Bible describes several people who experienced each of these three categories of pain, physical pain, the pain of disappointment, the pain of rejection. I want to give you some examples, just skim these examples. The first one is Job. I mentioned Job before. Now, if you're a new Christian and you're flicking through your Bible, the book just before Psalms, the kind of the middle of your Bible, is it looks like job. Oh, get a job, you know, it's like job. It's actually, we in English, we actually say that wrong. It's, if we were to say it the way it was probably said in the day, it sounds something like yob. Yob, because uh, the J has a Y sound, so it's Yob, Yob. But, but let's call him Job for now. So Job is described here as it says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God. By the way, when you read the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament, it means this: obey God's word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Obeying God's word is your first step toward wisdom. Fear of the Lord means obey God's word. That's a Hebraism for that expression. So he was someone who feared God, so he obeyed God, and he turned away from evil. So he sounds like a good man. In other words, he sounds like the kind of guy who God would protect. That's what it sounds like. And I think this is how the book is set up. But we know 
because we're, we're let into side stage where we hear the narrator tell us but there was something else going on that Job was not aware of. There was a contest, more or less, between Satan and God. And God said, okay, let's play. And Job was the one, the unwitting one, the one who didn't know what was going on. And when all of this began to happen, when Job's five children died, when he was afflicted with boils from head to toe, when everything, literally everything hurt. And then to make matters worse, his three friends plus someone who came along, who Elihu, who, who is introduced later on, these three friends, they all say things to him that in any other context are true. They're right. But it's something that if we had the time, I would say to you, there's some lessons we can learn here about pat answers for people who are hurting. And his response to all of this was, why? God, why? Why are you doing this to me? What have I done? What have I done? And that was the equation that he operated on. And I think many of us still operate on that equation. I do good, God will be good by me. It's a good equation. Sounds pretty reasonable. Until things go wrong, then it doesn't work. That equation doesn't quite work. And so for Job, this was his problem. He asked why, but he experienced physical pain. He experienced the pain of disappointment, lost his children. He then experienced the pain of rejection. His three friends all accused him because they were operating on that same equation. They said, Job, come on, come on, confess what you've done and this will all be over. You've obviously done great evil, Job, because this is horrible what's happening to you and God would never do horrible things to someone who has obeyed him that was their equation so Job experienced that can I I just point out at the end Elihu is a prophet and the moment the word of the Lord is heard God's presence is experienced and at the end of the book of Job all of Job's why questions are not answered we get to the end of the book God heals Job restores Everything he lost gives him twice as much as he had before. And Job is none the wiser. He has no idea what just happened. We have the privileged position of reading from the narrator's point of view. We, we can see what's happened. He's my first case study. Secondly, this is a prophecy from Isaiah 52 verse 14 about Christ, Jesus. It says this, As many were as astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance just for a moment just you know we just celebrated communion and it's you know we we in some churches they have nice gold crosses and they have nice silver platters that they serve this on and they have nice silver goblets and all the rest of it and when you actually read what Isaiah just said you think we just made that look pretty but what they actually did to Jesus there was nothing pretty about it his semblance did not even resemble a human being And his form beyond that of the children of mankind, which is poetry for saying, by the time they were finished with him, skin was hanging off him. He did not even, he looked more like a piece of meat than a human being. We go down to verse 50, uh, chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom 
has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 3, he was, notice the pain. He was despised, rejected by men. A man of sorrow. So we've already talked about, Isaiah describes the intense physical pain. Now we've got this other kind of pain, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. There's your disappointment. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him, in other words we considered him, to be stricken and smitten by God, exactly the same as Job, and afflicted. This is Jesus. I could give you other examples of this. We could look at Paul, and, but these two will do for right now. So Job and Jesus experienced physical pain, disappointment pain, rejection pain. And what was God's response? Because Job is asking, why, 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 why? Why did this happen? And here's the, here's the point, I think. We, we all live in a fallen world which is subject to hurt and pain. It, it is. For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select Why Pain from our online store. As we've heard tonight, we are all at some stage subjected to pain, physical pain, the pain of disappointment and failure, or the pain of rejection. But there is hope, and it is in knowing God who is ultimately in control. More from Dr. Corbett next week with Why Evil? Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters. <laughs>